Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing? It's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, My name is Peter. This is my beautiful wife. Linda. We were looking at, we'll talk more about this later, but we have a list of uh, all new song members outside because we're doing the voting thing. And there are, how many Lindas did we count that are members here at Members. I think it was seven. seven. <laughs> we win. So all you Lindas could almost form a baseball team. All right. No. No. <laughs> uh, I am uh, part of the leadership here at New Song. My wife is on staff here at New Song, and uh, so we're just privileged to be able to say good morning and welcome to you. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, it's great to see so many faces on kind of a, a gloomy weather day. Yesterday was nice and sunny, and today it's just kind of flipped the it other way. It will get sunny. It will eventually. I've talked to God. Um, but we're happy you're here, and uh, we want to just talk a little bit, uh, share a few things with you, but I want to first just kind of highlight what it is that um, we are committed to here at New Song. Our mission here at New Song is that we wish to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus, love people, and do good. And we do that in a number of different ways, and we're going to hear about a few of those. But I just wanted to quickly comment, you know, if you uh, came into the building right around 10 o'clock, you heard our wonderful worship team. Oh, they went away. Um, You heard them uh, performing a song that isn't necessarily a worship song. And you might wonder, why would we do that here in a church? And, you know, um, what we... uh, what I've kind of found as, as I experience some of those, uh, the, you know, that, that extracurricular music that we do here at New Song is that, um, you know, God is in so many different things. We, in, and art, music is, is a form of art. And uh, art is created by God. And it's something that we get to see played out in so many different ways. And, you know, we'll, we've seen, um, we've done different uh, types of expressions of art um, in different ways. We've seen um, handcrafted projects. Um, but music is one of those things that just kind of stands out. And, you know, even in um, what we commonly think of as secular music, we can see God and we can see the truth of God in so many different ways. And that's why we do that. And it's an opportunity for our um, musicians to kind of expand their artistic capabilities. And it's a lot of fun. So um, I would encourage you, if you ever wonder you know, why we're doing that, just to kind of absorb it a little bit and think through um, what that uh, expression of art, um, how that uh, speaks to, uh, to uh, God in the world. And did you notice Justin's new guitar? Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? Okay, he's cool. I don't know where you went, but you're cool, man. I don't know. Uh, in the uh, seat back in front of you, you should be able to find uh, a couple of different cards. And uh, these are here for a few different purposes. Just want to kind of highlight those. If you are a guest with us, we're excited that you're here. And uh, the card that says connect on it is just a great way for us to actually connect with you. And so I would encourage you to fill that out. Um, that's that's uh, helpful for us uh, just to kind of get to know you better. And we, our commitment is that if you fill one of those out, we're going to connect. We're going to reach out to you. And uh, we'd be excited to just get to know more about you. Um, the second card that you'll see in there says pray. 
And the great thing about this card is that um, this quickly converts into information that we can share within the community um, to pray for each other. And we do that in a couple of different ways. Um, if you've signed up to be on our prayer team, you'll get um, perhaps a, a text message during the week um, or an email that'll help you know um, what, what's going on and you know, what the needs are within our community. And um, so if you have any prayer needs, please um, feel free to fill out one of those cards and you can drop it in the box out in the foyer when, on, on your way out this morning. But Again, that's an opportunity for us to, to um, lift you up in prayer and to, uh, to participate in uh, the community that way. And then finally, you will see a, um, uh, an envelope in there that says give. And this is just um, an opportunity for you to participate in the community at New Song financially. And we have different ways that you can do that. Um, we have you, digital ways that you can do that. You can use the envelope um, to, uh, to give as well. Um, but uh, we're just grateful for um, the participation of uh, you guys as this congregation here at New Song in doing so. That's right. Uh, well, you were probably uh, asked to fill out or given a name tag this morning. Uh, we do that the first Sunday of the month so that we can just continue to get acquainted with you and know your names. I'm a visual learner, so these are great. You know, Peter. <laughs> Thank God for these name tags because it'd be really embarrassing at home, you know? So, but we do this once a month and it's, it's a great way to, hey, instead of, you know, hey, pal, you know, it's a little embarrassing. And we also, on the first Sunday of the month, do what we now lovingly call Soup Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So, and our soups have expanded. We have a lot of soups now. Um, anyways, we would encourage all of you to stick around after the service ends and have some soup. Just have a meal together, get to know some people. Um, yeah, super fun. And, you know, Soup Sunday has become so popular that the line tends to form around the building now. So uh, I'm going to encourage you, if you um, would, uh, would like to, if you're a member, uh, instead of waiting in the soup line right away, just step outside the doors. Linda and I will be sitting at a table right out there, and we're going to be voting on our annual budget. And uh, so we'd like to get your vote. Some of you voted already this morning. That's great. But uh, those of you that haven't, today's the day to do that, and the last opportunity, actually, to get your vote in. And uh, I've been calling it your civic duty. <laughs> um, it's, it's an opportunity for you to participate again in the, in the life here at New Song Church. So, um, but then it, once you vote, come back in and get yeah, the soup. Yeah, then, then come back and get in the soup line. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, if you wouldn't mind uh, taking care of that, that would, uh, that would be helpful. I think that's it, right? We wow. caught everything? Are we done? Uh, Melody, come on up. And I think you've got some things to share with us. Good morning, good morning. How is everybody? Good morning to you. Who knows that one? Good morning to you. No, you don't know it. That sounds terrible. What happened with our new song choir? All right, people are still singing. We're done. It's done. We're done. Well, good morning. My name is Melody, and I'm happy that you are here today. Um, however you came, however you were brought, however you arrived, you are here, yes? Yeah. 
Yes, you got here. Excellent. I have a couple of quick things to do today, and um, I'm going to invite some people on stage with me today. So uh, first of all, I need any graduating seniors that we have in the building. I know a few are out. I know one specifically is here. Let's welcome Macy Allen down. I had a heart attack for a second. I was like, oh my gosh, where are her parents? Where are her parents? Are they here? Yes, come, come, come to me. I have an Altoid in my mouth. It's good. Well, this is Macy Allen, and she just graduated from? From South Hills High School. South Hills High School. And did you survive senioritis? I did, yes. Just barely? Yeah, kind of. Kind of, just barely. I, th I don't know. I... My dad's in the room, I can't say it right now. So I say, I don't know how much of my senior class I actually went to class, because I left at lunch and some days I'm like, oh, I'll just leave it nutrition. Sorry, dad. Um, my dad's here, everybody. Say hello to dad. Um, but you never cut class, your parents are also here. You never, it's fine. Just shh, stop talking, okay. Um, well, we are here today to pray over Macy, and she is off to? To Point Loma in San Diego. Point Loma in San Diego. Not a shabby uh, campus, from what I hear. Uh, and do you know your major? What are you, and when are you off? Yes. My major is going to be environmental science, and I'm going at the end of August. All right, environmental science at the end of August. So today we just want to pray over Macy and I have a helper. Yes, we're gonna give her some college survival goodies. I'm gonna grab one, thank you. Here you go, so Macy, first things first, coffee, okay? Coffee, little via instant packs to go in your little tumbler thing here. Some, uh, it's a share chocolate bag because Welcome to college, you're gonna share everything. Um, and then a little snack, a little trail mix, a little Altoids for, you know, after coffee, a little room decor for your dorm. So Macy's set, I think, right? For college, that's all she needs. Yeah? Yeah, I think, she, I think well, and the caddy, because take a shower, yeah? Okay, so you're gonna take a shower. Uh, would you join me in praying over Macy this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for um, Macy's life and just for uh, just her, um, what has been her education experience here at her home, in her schools, with mom and dad, with her brother, with her sister. God, God, I just pray that as Macy uh, opens the book on this next chapter, God, that um, you will just shine the light for her. Lord, would she seek you? Would she, um, would she put everything in your hands, Lord? Lord, would she um, be confident in who she is and what she knows and what she believes, Lord? Lord, would you um, just fill her with your spirit and fill her with, um, God, just the confidence that uh, you have her where you want her, God? God, I pray that as Macy gets to know new people, as she is in a different, um, a different vicinity than what she has been all these years, God, God, would you uh, pave the way for her, Lord? Would you open doors that she doesn't, she can't even imagine yet, Lord? 
Lord, we put Macy in your hands. Lord, we put Linda and Jason in your hands as we, uh, as they, as parents, um, pack up Macy in August and send her on her way. Would you be with Megan, her sister, and Mason, her brother, as they uh, don't, won't get to see her every day. But Lord, would you help that whole family in their hearts as they, um, all, all of them, open this new chapter in, in, um, in this book. Lord Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Congratulations, Macy. <laughs> Share your candy. All right, I am going to ask all the registered camp kids to come up here on stage with me. You know who you are. You are an incoming sixth grader all the way to 12th grade. Come on down. Don't take too long. Come on, boys. Let's go, let's go. Would you give them a hand? <laughs> all the way down, all the way down. Come on down, be good. All right, we're missing a few because some are visiting grandparents this weekend or whatnot, so we're missing a few, but there are 17 camp kids registered as of um, today, yeah. As of a few weeks ago. So a few weeks ago, do you remember, we brought these camp kids up here. Do you remember? And we said, hey, listen, these are your kids. These are your kids, and yes, they may not, you know, belong to you, so to speak. You may not be mom and dad, but hey, you are Nick, you are Ian, you are Craig, you are Nancy, you are, and these kids are your kids. Do you remember me saying this? And they were all ready for camp, and these kids have been, last week we had a pizza sale. Yeah, today we're having a? I, I tried things just to make sure nothing was poisoned, okay? Quality control, thank you very much. So we have a few things to show you in a second, but I'm gonna ask my daughter Kaylee to go ahead, don't show it yet, don't show it, Come, but come up here. Up here, right here. And we would like to show you the progress on their fundraising. So Kaylee, does everyone have their clapping hands ready? Let's see, let's see. Do, do, do. Okay, so they started at zero. They started at zero, and now they're, wait a minute, Kaylee, I think, I think you didn't get the memo, the last memo. Can you hold it up for me? Let's update this a little bit. Let me open this marker. How do you open it? It's Kaylee's marker. Okay, so the last, the last that I knew of it was at about $2,000, right after last week's sale. Right after last week's sale, show your friends, look. Two grand, oh my gosh, that's so much money, right? Oh wait, hold on, this just in, it's up to $4,000. Oh, hold on, hold on, I'm getting a, a message right now, it's up to $6,000. I mean, keep clapping, keep clapping. It's up to $8,000. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's up to $9,000. Show your friends. Every single kid up here, I'm gonna get all emotional. Every single kid up here is going to camp for free.
single kid up here is getting a paid ticket to go to camp. You guys, look at these, look at these folks. These are, these are your people. And we brought you guys up here and said, you guys, let's take care of them. And look what they did. They did it in a matter of two weeks. A matter of two weeks, $9,000, you guys. And this all came together with the smallest donation to the largest donation. But together, together, we did this together, together. That is community, my friends. That is love. Kaylee's like, Mom, you messed up my thing. I worked so hard on it yesterday. <laughs> Sorry, she was making this yesterday, and I was like, <laughs> I know. Anyway, but I will say this. So we are still having a bake sale today because if you came prepared to donate to that, we want that to still happen. We thank you for coming prepared for that to happen. And um, we're going to put on pause some of the other fundraisers. We're still going to do a pancake Sunday, but, you know, just with a little different focus. Um, today, we're still going to do the bake sale. If you came prepared for that, guess what? It's still going to go to camp. This is going to go to... what's. What's the, what's the little shop called, the cafe shop? The malt shop? Okay, it's called the malt shop. Uh, they sell malts, they sell fries, they sell stuff. So it's going to go towards buying these kids a, a shake and some fries maybe. It's going to go to um, perhaps a meal on the way up to camp or on the way back. Whatever you donate today is still going to go to these camp kids. So thank you, thank you. Thank you. Give them a round of applause, you guys. How do you feel? Is it amazing? You're like, wow, I stayed up really late making cookies last night, huh? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much. You may exit stage left. Right? Stage right. And like I said, thank you to everyone. We have these wonderful, beautiful things that people have donated, that have spent some time making. And again, I've tested it. It is all good. Okay. And with that, we are going to um, hand the microphone over to Grant. Yes? Let's welcome him. Hey. Thanks, Mel. Yeah, it's, it's actually, I think there's even more than 9,000, right? So, um, yeah, everyone who's given, just thank you so much. It's amazing. Um, we also have the potential of uh, funds going towards the next camp. It's not all going to milkshakes and fries, because that would not be healthy for our children. And, there's, you know, childhood obesity is a thing in America, so we don't want to affect that. So we've got a winter camp coming up. So it's just a beautiful example of, of a body working together, you know, to care for each other. So thank you very much, everyone. Uh, I just want to, before I start, I just want to note a couple of people who are with us this morning. Uh, Tim and Lisa are here. Uh, Tim is a pastor at Hilltop Church in San Dimas, his wife Lisa. Uh, Tim is on sabbatical right now, and he chose to come to church uh, on his sabbatical. I, I, I meet with Tim like every other week uh, or so uh, with another pastor locally, and I'm just so grateful for Tim. He's been doing this longer than I have. And yeah, I've just gleaned so much wisdom from Tim. You don't stand up, you guys. Stand up and let people see you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love you very much. And, uh, you know, being a pastor is a unique uh, situation. It's always good to have some brothers around and sisters who you can chat with. So, welcome. Good to see you. Hopefully I don't mess it up. You're judging my sermon today, right? <laughs> so, Tim's going to leave the room now. Because we're in Hebrews. And I told uh, Tim and Bruce, the other guy I meet with, you know, we're doing Hebrews, and they're like, oh, okay, that's got some uh, heavy stuff in there, right? But we are indeed in Hebrews, and we're in chapter 8. We're looking at verses 1 to 13 this morning. Um, And it's not an easy read. Uh, We've said a few times that the audience for this letter, it's more of a sermon, really, are people who are struggling. They are weary. They are tempted to give up to quit, to go back to old ways of living, uh, and, and they're encouraged to press on uh, in their faith. And, and so the writer treats his audience as deserving of a full explanation, a very deep and thorough explanation of what this is all about, why it is so crucial and also so necessary and beautiful and powerful to not shrink back, but to press on beyond the discomfort and the difficulty and maybe the opposition that they are feeling, both within themselves and outside of themselves, to this way to follow Jesus. And we've wrestled with some challenging concepts over the past few months. I think it's really true that, as in most things in life, you get out of it what you put into it. Um, It's worth chewing on these things. You know, even if you're maybe on a Sunday, you don't quite grasp some of these points, it's worth opening your Bible again and, and sit down with it. And we've said God answers prayer. You can say, God, show me what I need to know about this text and just linger with it, stay with it, sit with it. Um, but good news, this week's text begins with these really encouraging words, which says in cha- verse one of chapter eight, now the main point of what we are saying is this. Isn't that good? Now the main point of what we're saying is this. So hopefully we'll get a small phrase which explains everything to us and it's only five words or so and we just go, yeah, brilliant, good stuff, let's have lunch, let's have soup. Um, It's not necessarily going to relent from this kind of deep stuff, but hopefully we're gonna grasp some more of what this author is trying to tell us. Um, So when I was a kid back in sunny Scotland, um, I'm not kidding. We don't tell anyone, or people would want to come there. We don't want you there. It's actually beautiful most of the year. Um, but when I was a kid in Scotland, one of my favorite Christmas presents that I ever got was this tabletop soccer or football. I call it football. We'll call it soccer for the understanding of people here. Uh, and it was a tabletop game called Sabutio. And I was so excited because my friends had this game, and, and I was so glad to get it. Uh, and it was kind of soccer in miniature. Uh, The slogan that the company used was flick to kick. That was the catchy title. So what you would do is sort of ping the player, the little guy, and it was kind of rounded on the bottom so they'd wiggle about, and you would ping it to hit the ball toward your other player. You could also ping your player toward the ball and try and move it up up the field and then score. And the goalkeepers were on sticks behind the goals, and you could, you know, do this. Um, And it was really addictive. Me and my friends played it all the time. Uh, it's not the only miniature soccer game. Another game I really, really love is foosball. Any foosball players here who like playing foosball? Mostly over here. That's interesting. Uh, so my band, some of you know I was in a, a band for a while, and, and when touring in, on the continent, especially in Germany, every club and every bar had a foosball table in it. And I'd never seen foosball played properly. These guys there, it was like precision and skill. They would 
I mean, passing this ball between the players, incredible. We actually have a foosball table over in the youth room at the, in the other building. And the students are pretty good, I'm going to say. They're here this morning. I they still here, some of them? Yeah. But they cheat <laughs> by spinning. And there is a rule. If you know foosball, it bugs me. I've got to like, keep it down. Grant, you're a leader. You're an adult. <laughs> no spinning, okay? Um, it's, it's not something you're supposed to do. So both these games are really fun. Sabirio is fun. Foosball is fun. And both of them have kind of become sports in their own right. There's competitions in both of these games. But neither of them are actually soccer. Okay? They are small tabletop versions of something bigger. We could, for the, for the sake of cultural um, integrity, we could use some American things. Do anyone remember playing table hockey? So there's kind of a North American version of the same thing. It's a small version of hockey, much less violent. You know, I hate watching that because no one gets hurt, you know. Um, or, or even a more, even better example for today would be sports video games. There are so many video games. So it's like couch sports, right? I'm really good at Wii bowling. Uh, anyone else good at Wii bowling? Yeah, I'll take you on sometime, man. Um, but in all these examples, they are, they're only a fraction, a tiny part of the full experience and scope of the real games that they, that they seek to emulate. You know, when I, I loved playing soccer. I loved playing Subido, but I even more so loved playing soccer. When me and my friends would run ourselves ragged in the park playing soccer, there was no comparison to these tabletop versions. Uh, this experience of, of being a kid, just full of energy on a beautiful Scottish sunny you know, winter day, and it was full mind and body and community, physical, mental, relational. The game of, the beautiful game they call it, right? Uh, even some might say spiritual, but only when the Brazilians play. It's a, sorry, sorry Melody, she's an Argentinian fan. Or is that, is that Ishmael here? Spanish, yeah, okay. You know, so soccer, the point is, is the real game on which these other experiences are based. There would be no subutio, foosball, table hockey without the real thing. And that's kind of the main point, I think, that the author of Hebrews wants to get across to his friends, that in Jesus, the Messiah, a way has been opened to experience all of the fullness of God's presence and power. And he wants to tell them, don't dabble around with copies or half measures anymore when you can experience the real fullness of the real thing. You can, as the Old, Test uh, as the Old Testament priests, we've been talking about the Old Testament priests, and they have become very good, just as like Sabuti or Foosball, you can become expert, you can become a top player at these games. These, for, for a long time, these priests and these people have done these religious acts and have become very accomplished at it, and it was the main thing for them. But it was never going to be fully what God intended, uh, either in experience or in results. There was something he always intended that was the real thing. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 13, with this in mind. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. 
They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So Moses was on the mountain. He was given all these instructions to build a tabernacle in the wilderness where the people of Israel could meet God, where God's presence could reside and they could have some kind of relationship with him. And it was very detailed, as some of you know from the Old Testament, very detailed instructions on how it should be done. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I'll forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So the key verse, I think, along the lines of thinking about some version of the real thing is, is verse five. They, the priests, serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. A copy or a shadow. You know, we have to recognize that this was legitimate. The law was given to Moses and given to the people. These uh, sacrifices and the temple and the tabernacle, all these things were given by God to the people but they were only a shadow or a copy of the ultimate reality that would only come in Christ. It was only a temporary measure to enable people to have some engagement with this holy, perfect God on his terms. He said, do this. So Jesus is then, firstly, a superior priest. We've been talking about this a lot, beginning in the past times, God spoke to our people through the prophets in many ways, and these last times, he's talked to us through Jesus, who is the perfect image and representation of God higher than the angels, greater than these Old Testament people and prophets. And now we've been hearing he is a superior priest. He is a priest. Verse one, we do have such a high priest. What kind of high priest do we have? Well, the first thing is verse one talks about this high priest, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. What does it mean that Jesus sat down? And how is that different from the priest that went before him according to this old covenant, this shadow, this copy of the real thing in Christ? Well, it's about completion. His sacrifice, his work, his work as a priest, he has done it. He sat down, his sacrificial work is done on the cross. Good Friday, around Easter time and Holy Week, we say that on the cross, Jesus breathed his last and he said, it is finished. And after three nights, he rose, in three days he rises from the grave. He has done this. The priests of the old covenant never sat down. Like pastors today, right, Tim? They never sit down in a different way. They constantly, year after year, day after day, had to get up and put their robes on and go to the tabernacle or the temple and make sacrifices both for themselves and for the rest of the people. And they're exhausted and weary day after day, week after week, priest after priest. And this great high priest accomplished it once for all and sat 
down. The very first opening words of Hebrews, after saying in the past he spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, it says, Jesus, after he carried out the cleansing of people from their sins, he sat down at the right side of the highest majesty. And again, he repeats it here. He has sat down. He has done it. His work on our behalf is finished. The sacrifice has been made. The second thing is where he serves. The writer tells us that Jesus serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So this tabernacle, which then moved into the time of the temple, was constructed by people. When Moses first received instructions to build a place where God would come and there would be meeting point between the God of heaven and the people of earth, it says in Exodus 25, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to collect gift offerings for me. Receive my gift offerings from everyone who freely wants to give. These are the gift offerings that you should receive from them, gold, silver, and copper, blue, purple, and deep red yarns, fine linen, goat's hair, ram's skins dyed red, beaded leather, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet-smelling incense, gemstones and gems, etc. They should make me a sanctuary so that I can be present among them. By their own hands and by their own work, the sweat of their brows, they came and they built this sanctuary. A temporary structure would be moved. One day, the Romans will destroy this place where God would meet with his people. It was fragile. This other place, this heavenly sanctuary, is a mystery, but it's the place that God has created where Jesus ministers on our behalf. The third thing is, is in verse three. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Centuries of priests under the old covenant. We're going to learn in Hebrews about, about the spilling of blood. And what does that mean? That, that there is no forgiveness of sin. There's no remission of sin without this death, this, this animal sacrifice. This is a, a challenging thing we're going, to, we're going to think about. But that's what they did. There was always this recognition, the severity of sin, that something's life would be taken because of this broken condition of people. And God would accept that for a while, to cover the sins for a while. But then Jesus, it says, we, last week Melody shared in chapter seven, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all, when he offered himself. The great high priest, he sat down. He ministers in the realm of God, all of God's work, and he sacrificed one time for all his life. And all of our lives are swept in, into that sacrifice as if he was on our behalf paying the price for our broken, rotten, cruel, wicked, lost, ashamed devastating human experience, all of the worst of us, and he took it all upon himself, and he willingly gave himself up for us as a sacrifice, and it is done. So he is the priest. He wants us to know that, that Christ has done it. He is this great high priest. The second thing is, if he's a superior priest, what, is that, what does it mean? What do priests do? Well, priests all through the Old Testament, they would serve as a mediator of this covenant. God made a covenant saying, 
you do all these things, and all the people said, we will do these things, we will enact all these things, we will obey, we will follow the law. And the priests were placed in there to be an intermediary between the people and God. They would represent the people to God and represent God to the people according to the covenant. And our text in verse six says, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. A mediator. It says he's a superior priest. It says that this is a superior covenant. What is a covenant? It's an agreement between two parties, like a marriage covenant or what other covenants are there? An agreement to sell something. It's agreement between two parties. So it says in verse six, it says about Jesus, in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he's a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. What were the promises of the old covenant? The promises of the old covenant were if you do these things, you will live. And God always, he would, he would bear with the people over time, but the call was always conditional. You will, your side of this bargain is to obey perfectly. God's side of the bargain is to accept your obedience as my people. But Jesus is uh, it's a new covenant and based on better promises. What promises? We've been talking a lot about promises, haven't we? God is a promise keeper, a promise maker, and a promise keeper. And all through the Old Testament, God made promises to his people. So the writer here refers to promises he made through the prophet Jeremiah a long, long time before Jesus came. And Jeremiah 31 31 to 34 is what he quotes. I'm just going to read it again. This is uh, from the text in Hebrews. And it's a direct quote from the Old Testament. That the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And this is a time after the people of Israel had been dragged off into captivity and Judah had been grabbed off into captivity and they were devastated. They were away from their land and then they were coming back into the land of their forefathers And Jeremiah was prophesying of a new time that would come to both of these parties that he would, sorry, I've lost my page. There we go. It's not to do with Tim. I'm not feeling nervous. (laughs) So it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. So Jeremiah even refers, he says, this, what is coming, this covenant that will be made is not like the one I've made to your ancestors when I took them by by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. And then he goes on to describe what this covenant is like. And it's all about promises. He makes promises to the people through Jeremiah that now the writer tells us have come to pass in Jesus. What are these promises on which this covenant is based? The first one is this, a promise of an inner understanding of truth. An inner understanding of truth. He says, this is the covenant. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Remember the story of the Moses and the stone tablets where the law was written on these stone tablets. And it's weird because people keep wanting to put these laws in public places around America. And I think that's fine from the Bible, but if we couldn't keep them the first time, I'm not sure putting them in front of our face on stone tablets is going to make us keep them the second time, right? That's kind of, let's pretend that people are different than they were back then. If we put this in schools and courthouses, everyone's going to go, oh, you shouldn't lie. Okay, I'll stop lying. I think it's false. It's a false thing to do. It's actually 
going back to the old thing, right? These things were written on stone tablets. In fact, Moses smashed them the first time and he got a second set engraved for him and he brought them down to the people. He, got, he brought them down to the people because when he got the first ones, they were doing all the shenanigans with the golden calf and he got so mad at them, he smashed the golden tablets. I mean, the whole thing's a mess, right? So the promise is that no longer will it be written externally on stone tablets, but written on your minds and your hearts. That you will by nature have the ability to understand what is God's will, to understand and to experience and know. And we all know that our minds and our hearts are the, are the greatest predicator of how we will act, right? I will, I will understand and I will believe. That's a powerful thing. An inner understanding of truth will come. The second thing is this, the promise of an intimate relationship with God. You know, there was, God was at arm's length in the Old Testament. People wonder why. Why does God seem so angry in the Old Testament? So overwhelming whenever he appears. It's cataclysm. It's, it's craziness. It's like me. I've said a few times, it's like me trying to make friends with a little colony of amoebas. Right? I'm like, hey, guys. I love you. How you doing there? And they're just like, ah, fire, flood, monsters. Right? He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. They will know me. That's why Jesus came. He came in a way we can understand. He came in our human flesh so we can see what God is like. As someone said, there is no unknown God standing behind Jesus. You see Jesus, you see God. This is the promise, an intimate relationship with God. The third thing is the promise of absolute forgiveness of all sins. Easy for us to say, at great cost, we've been hearing about the sacrifice of Jesus. He says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Not just turn a blind eye. I will cause, God will forget them for once, for all, forever. Complete forgiveness of sins. And the last thing is, is this interesting little thing where he talks about Israel and Judah. And it's the promise of a reuniting of divided communities. These days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Now, they were enemies. Israel, uh, the people of Israel had been split into two. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and they were not friends. They worshipped at different places, and it was not good. And he's promising now somehow that these two separate entities would come together, according to this new covenant, as one. That is good news for us. Does anyone see, notice perhaps that America's a bit divided right now? I'm sick of it, man. I'm like so sick of it because it's just this broken old system. It's broken. And what the kingdom of God is about is about reconciliation of those who were formerly enemies to be family, to be brothers and sisters only because of Christ, not because we agree about everything. And he's promising this will take place using the people of Israel as an example. So there was two covenants, an old covenant and a new covenant. And here's the problem with the first one. It wasn't that God gave them something that was wrong. He gave them, in his time, his providence, you know, when, when, when sin entered the world, God already had a solution that he would bring himself the solution, his own life. He would give his own self for his creation. But this covenant in the past was so for it to be successful and to be long-lasting, like for the ever thing, the law, like the law going on forever, we had to keep it perfectly and we were unable to keep it perfectly by any means. 
This is what the writer says. If there'd be nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. We'd still be living under that system of these sacrifices, of this tabletop version of the ultimate expression of what God's kingdom is about in the gospel and in Christ. God found fault with the people. He says, they did not remain faithful to my covenant. What would you expect God to do if, if, that, if that was the only way to go and they, they were unfaithful? He would just tear it all up. It would be gone. But he didn't do that. He made promises of a new covenant, a new time to come when everything would be made right. So this sounds wonderful. You know, enemies becoming community, the forgiveness of our sins, therefore uh, 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 losing our shame and our guilt. Uh, we don't need to earn it anymore. An intimate relationship with God, an inner understanding of truth, a more deep understanding where we start to live in alignment with the will of God and we kind of do by nature what, what God intends for us to do. We might ask the same question as maybe the original hearers of this text, and it's this, if the real thing has come, the true supreme high priest has come and the new perfect covenant, then why is life so challenging? Why is it so difficult to live into this? You know what I'm talking about, man, that pressure, that strain, that stress, especially when you decide that you want to try and pursue God. There's so much inside of us and outside of us that seem to prevent it. We don't experience this fullness, do we? We don't. Why are we still, why are we experiencing that? Well, it's really important to know that when Christ said it is finished and now he sits down at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us, we await a greater moment when this thing will be fully satisfied. We're in these in-between times. We're in the time of grace and the time of the Spirit, but not yet are we in this full experience of the kingdom. Hebrews 8, 5 says, a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. We still experience that shadow life that copy life. We still have a tendency, like the original readers, to go back to try and fix things in our own ways. We still have all that DNA and instinctual understanding of how to get along and control our lives and do all these things, but yet we are new creations in Christ, and there's a tension there. And I was looking for images of my childhood game, Sabutio. I'm going to get Sabutio, by the way. We're going to be the only church in Southern California, or probably the world, that has a Sabutio league. Hilltop, you're welcome to come and challenge us. I'm sorry I'm saying so much about you, dude, but. So, but I was looking for images of this game, and I found this really interesting image of two professional soccer players in 1977 playing Subutio. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. These were top level at the time in English Premier League soccer players. And I've got their cards there to show them, right? Playing Subutio. And I realized this is kind of a powerful illustration of the truth about our time on God's, as God's people on this broken earth. Because we are equipped. All this is true about us. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I have an inner presence and conviction and, and truth and knowledge about God. I can know him, an intimate relationship with him. He is my great high priest. I, ex I experienced this ability. I can be your friend no matter what you believe. We can be one in Christ. We can be brothers but I'm still living on this earth. I'm still living on this copy in this shadow. Even though I am equipped for a world to come, I am living in this place. I, it's like a professional soccer player playing the tabletop version 
when I have the ability and the training and the physique and the skill to be playing the real game. And it's easier to play the tabletop version. And I think that's often what we end up doing. I think we can play religion. We can play church. You know, the great thing about Subutio and, and uh, especially that game, it's so easy to put away. You can just like put the players back in their little, you know, plastic container and put the fold the sheet up and mat and just get on with your life. So what are we to do? Is it possible that we can move away as he's calling his people to move away from the shadow and the copy of what was now here in Jesus Christ? I think it is. Just like these soccer players doing this, it's a beautiful game. They need to get out into the playing field and do what they were made to do, what they're trained to do, what they're called to do, what they're paid to do. We can stretch our spiritual muscles. We can go and say, no, the kingdom of God is here now. It's just very much, it's hidden. But it is revealed in the faces of the people around us and the community around us. And we can truly step into that. It is not heaven on earth yet. It doesn't come easy. It's a struggle. We're always being called to go back to the more convenient, easy ways of living out this calling on the earth. Like, yeah. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Now, the last thing that the author says here is really hopeful. Because if we, if this was it, so the first covenant, if that was the way it was forever, what a, an awful experience to have a constant need to atone for your sin by some mechanical religious thing, especially the sacrificial system, pouring out the blood of animals to somehow continue on in some relationship with God. And if this continued just the way it is, we have these longings and these desires and God has placed within us his spirit and we have this sense of what should be, could be, hope to be, but it never came, that would be also a fate. Just a terrible, terrible situation. You know, I'm talking to a few people recently who have experienced tremendous loss. And, you know, leaving this earth sometimes feels awfully attractive because it's hard. And we long for what is to come. So, but what this author says, the last thing in this section is by calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And I think that's our hope. That this struggle will come to rest. That this, these challenges, this struggle where we feel all of these longings and this desire that God has planted in us. And to follow him in this world is difficult. Will come this whole copy, the shadow will pass away and the light will shine and we will enter into his glory, a new heaven and a new earth and live as his people forever. These promises that he made are not yet fully fulfilled, but there's coming a day when they will be and that is the hope of this book and that's the hope of God's people. I'm gonna read to close one of my favorite 
sections in uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia books. <clears throat> and I think this is, this is something that causes me great joy and excitement and anticipation. And you know, he did a lot of analogy between the kingdom of God and then this fantasy land where animals spoke. Although animals do speak, because my dog talked to me one time. <laughs> and I'm, I'll, don't call me a liar, it's true. And, um, but he, but it's, it's got so many beautiful parts. And I've read this a couple of times at memorial services when the, when the, when the pain is so keen and the, the, the dysfunction, the, the brokenness between what we long for is, is met with this pain of loss because it's death. And even though death has been defeated, it is still an enemy and it's still about separation. And here's what he says toward the very end of his books about Aslan, who was the lion, who's kind of a picture of Christ. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this, the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which each chapter is better than the one before. This is the hope that sustains us. This is what the author wants to tell us, that God's promises, he has made them, he will keep them, we can trust in his faithfulness. And remember also, he writes this to a community, not to some individual unique person, but to a community that we need one another we embody and we experience this power and these promises as we live together in community. We're going to go to communion now. And, um, you know, I, for those of you who don't know, we do communion every single week. A new song was one of the things during the pandemic that we realized that we, it was very hard to do communion when you can't be in the same space as each other. And so we decided that we're going to do it every week when we're back together again. So that's what we do. And also, no matter what we talk about, about the kingdom of God and the people of God, communion always is a, word, a good space to respond because it fits with everything because it's actually at the crux of all that we've been talking about, about promise and about covenant. As we said in Jeremiah chapter 31, way, way, way before Christ, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be my God. I'll be their God and they will be my people. And then Jesus picks up the story when he gathers with his friends on the Passover and he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. God is not asking us to be perfect, to be obedient in every single way, to follow some law, to go to a priest for some intersect, inter, inter, what's the word, intercession with God. He's simply asking us to respond to his promise, his invitation to receive what Christ has done on our behalf. And that's what we do when we come for the bread and the cup. So in your own time, come and take the bread, take the cup. It's your desire to lay down your life to follow Jesus. And then we'll take it together shortly.
said to come all who are weary carrying heavy burdens and so we come Lord Jesus because that includes all of us thank you that we don't need to understand everything we don't have, need to have it all figured out we are weak and frail in so many ways our bodies and our minds our relationships even our place on the earth, our, our finances, our mental, emotional health, all of these things are, are so very human. Thank you that you're not a far distant God who looks down on us with disappointment, wishing that we'd just shape up and be better, but you're a God who came alongside us, comes alongside us, put on our flesh and experienced everything that it means to be human you suffered Lord and thereby you were made the perfect sacrifice on behalf of all of humanity and so we who have heard the message we desire to follow you we take this bread and we recognize that you truly gave your life for us and in doing so you have given your life to us and even though we live in this broken world with so much struggle, you dwell with us and in us, and we desire to dwell one with another in peace. Thank you, Lord. And we take this cup. And as all the promises of God have been made yes in Jesus Christ, we say amen to that together as your people, that you truly have done it. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And behold, you are making all things new. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Thank you, Lord, that you know each one of us perfectly and you love us eternally. Take our weary bodies, fill them with your breath, that we may sing your praises, expressing our need as humans and our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>